Welcome to the Ephesiology Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the study of the early Christian movement and its implications for the church today. Today, we're with Michael, a resident ephesiologist, Andrew Johnson, associate pastor at Neartown Church in Houston, Texas, and I am Matt Till, uh, lead pastor of Restoration Church in the Chicago suburbs. Guys, it is so good to be with you today. Um, and uh, we're coming off the heels of a uh, conference or more of like a think tank, actually, that Michael and I uh, recently had a chance to be a part of at the SEND Institute. Uh, for those who don't know, the SEND Institute uh, is a um, organization, uh, kind of a, a think tank um, and church planning resource center uh, being developed by uh, the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton College uh, here in the Chicago area, and um, is led by uh, well-known Ed Stetzer, if anyone knows that name, and also Daniel Yang. Um, and uh, Michael and I had a chance to go be a part of this this great think tank um, and talking about the really strategies for church multiplication and the future of the church. And so uh, today we're getting on the podcast here and we're having a chance just to talk through those things and, um, and talk about, you know, what just the, our implications of kind of what we learned and, and just going to have some time to chime in here a little bit as well too. So Michael, just real quick impression. Uh, what did you think about our time together uh, last week? By the way, it was no. good to see you in the flesh and be, yeah. uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, it was. It was great to see you in the flesh. Um, almost surreal in, in some way. But, uh, and we were disappointed that we didn't see Andrew, but uh, he That's was there true. virtually for sure. I was. I was no, there. Had- I was sending messages and letting you know how disappointed I was and how <laughs> jealous I was seeing all the people that I kind of know of and would have loved to sit in a room with. So yeah, rub it in. Thanks. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll get more of that in this in this podcast. So, well, good. No, you know what? I think overall, Matt, it, it was it was a fantastic time to be together with uh, the brothers and sisters who are thinking about the state of the church in the United States, and um, I, I was particularly struck by what seemed to be a general consensus on where we are, and uh, and where we need to go. Yeah, I mean, that was just striking to me. Yeah. Um, and this is, uh, what a joy to be a part of those conversations. So for those who weren't in the room, what would you say was the summary of where the church is? Uh, and then, you know, what was the summary? I don't I hope to not get too far ahead, but the summary of where we should or might need to go. Let's start with the numbers that they gave us, which I think uh, will be kind of serve as the context to that because that was really the context that was given to us as well. And I just yeah. think in the striking numbers of that. Sure. Um, yeah. D- d- stick a pin right there for a minute, Matt, and then go into those numbers. Okay. But just to give our, our listeners yeah. a context, there were about 50 of us gathered together uh, mm-hmm. from many different denominations, the Southern Baptist, the Evangelical Free Church, Presbyterian Church in America. Uh, the, the Salvation the Army. Salvation Army. Yeah, uh-huh. Luth- the Lutherans were there, um, and, and there were other uh, church planting organizations and non-denominational churches that were present yeah. as well. So this was a very kind of cross-denominational, cross-organizational uh, representation of what is going on in the arena of church planting in the United States. And so that the uh, the fact that there were there that there was such diversity in the room, I think was telling, uh, especially as we get into some of these numbers, Matt, that you brought up. Yeah, I agree. And actually, uh, Michael, I share that too, because that was one of the main things that I noticed too. I'm like, wow, there's not just like, this is not just an evangelical uh, presence here. I mean, it's broadly evangelical, 
um, Protestant uh, really was was really what was represented in the room. And I thought that was really fascinating just to see that. I mean, we weren't just talking to non-denominational, you know, or the SBC. I mean, it was, this was broadly speaking. And I agree that that there was that general consensus in the room of like, this is where we're at and this is where we need to go. Yeah. So Church of God, I have to oh, yeah. give a shout out to the Church of God as I was sitting next to Sean O'Neill. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, broadly evangelical from many different theological backgrounds. You have Reformed people, you have Charismatic people, uh, you have uh, more more, I was going to say more traditional evangelical, but I don't even know what that is, to be honest. <laughs> we'll save that for another podcast to dissect that one. So, uh, all right, so here's the numbers that they, uh, that they presented to us. Um, so there's a census data that they have from um, uh, in the United States. So speaking about the United States specifically, uh, in 2010, there were roughly 324,000 congregations, 324,000 congregations, and the population was around 309 million, okay, in the U.S., which basically equates to a ratio of one to 1,000. So there was one congregation for every 1,000 people in the United States around 2010. I think it's an interesting number, too, because it's probably the height of what we would see, what we probably, when we look back, when we go into the future, probably another decade, we're going to look back at like 2000, 2010, and we're going to agree that this is probably the apex, the pinnacle of the church growth movement of what we've, what we've kind of defined that as being, I'm, it would be my guess. Uh, so that's what's of interest is one to 1000. Okay. And then at that point, um, uh, so, uh, then they're, they're saying now looking forward into 2050. So we're, they're saying like, all right, what was the church going to look like in, t- in 2050 in 2050 with current population trends they are expecting the population to be at 400 million. Okay. And in order for us to maintain a one to 1000 ratio, now, again, this is broadly speaking. So you've got some congregations of 50 people. You got some congregations of 500 people. You've got some congregations of 5,000, right? The overall general population is one to 1000. And then they say, we need 400,000 churches now to be planted and running and operating or 400,000 congregations to meet and to maintain the one to 1000 ratio going into 2050. That may not sound like something that's impossible to do. Um, 76,000 churches, right? Is that that exactly. Yes. We need, that's a net of 76,000 churches from 2010 to 2050. Okay. Now, which really is about 1,900 new churches needing to be starting every year from 2010 to 2050. Now, here's where, now here's where the rubber meets the road. In 2014, we were planting on average, uh, we were planting on average 4,000 churches, okay, which is way above the 1,900 that they, they say is needed. We might but, want to clarify that too. It's not the actual planting of as much as it is the starting of. And I think yeah, correct. Some of this is definitions because, you know, when we hear the term churches planted, what often comes in our mind is that these are established churches that are at, are at some level of sustainability. But the reality is that we, we, the, the language that we're using isn't really reflective of the reality. And so we need to, I think, begin to talk about, uh, and in, I think even in this data, they're saying that 4,000 churches were started. Um, but with that as background. Right. Yeah, that's helpful. So, so 4,000 churches being started as of 2014, well above the 1900. However, we were closing 3,700 churches, which means that we only netted 300 churches in 2014. And that's on average, we've been only really netting about 300 new churches since 2014. 
So if we need to be starting 1900 churches since 2010, uh, netting, actually opening up brand new congregations beginning in, tw- in beginning in tw- 2010 to keep up with the 1900 number, we've only been netting 300 since roughly about 2014. So we're Which, six so times sad. or seven times nearly uh, off of where we need to be. Can you imagine yes. this in, ter- in, in terms of like, you know, looking at like, if you would, a graph or a pictorial uh, graph showing this information we're talking about. That means for every year, each state gets six new churches and that's it. Wow. Yeah. Right. It, on, on, it, with the current. With the current trends. With the current, with the current trends, plus 4,000 minus 3,700, a net of 300. That means each state only gets six new churches a year. Yeah. Now, I, you know, I think there's a lot to, to I mean, there's a lot to chew on here um, and a lot to think about as to why those numbers are, you know, a question that I've, I've kind of had swimming around in my head at one point is like, well, you know, are, are the numbers inflated in terms of the number of churches in which a community can, you know, withhold and sustain? Um, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't even know where to begin with that um, necessarily. Well, but. And, and it blows our mind, too, to think about if we continue on the same trend that, that we've been on in terms of the numbers of churches starting um, and the number of churches closing, it means just a net that 1,900, it means that we have to be starting over 20,000 churches a year. Just a net. If we're going to use the same methodologies that we're doing today. If we're going to maintain uh, the one to 1,000 ratio, right? Correct. Yep. And that's overwhelming. I mean, to think where in the world are you yeah. going to find the resources to start using the same methods that we're doing today? If nothing else were to change in the next uh, 30 years, uh, using the same methods, where are we going to find the resources for the facilities? Where are we going to find the human resources? Where are those 20,000 a year church planters that we need to be able to uh, net 1,900 yeah. churches? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm recalling, and I'll have to look it up. It's on my shelf maybe behind me, but uh, Tim Keller uh, had even suggested that it, closer to an ideal number of like populate, like, you know, church to population ratio is something closer to like one to 300 or one to 400. Um, and they're citing sources back to basically when the United States was founded and the church, the populations were so lo- much lower and the church was far more prevalent. Right. And as in, you know, I think the claim is that as we've seen churches not keep up with population rates, we've also seen the reduction in Christian belief, uh, and value. And so, uh, which I, which I mean, oh my gosh, like if that's true, <laughs> holy cow, are we way off? Um, I mean, we're, we're so far off. Um, and again, I, I think that that's, I, I, don't, I don't know where to put that necessarily in the category, but I agree, even just looking at these numbers alone, even if we're just thinking about the church and going, okay, the church as a whole, in terms of congregations, if we want to maintain at least the ground in which we feel like we have, we're losing it rapidly. And, um, and this was, I think the thing that was everybody in this room, Michael, you would agree with is that we were struck with mm-hmm. is realizing, oh man, oh man, like we've got a problem here and not only do we have a problem, but we've realized that any model that we've been using now up to this point is no longer effective. We are effectively starting brand new blockbuster rental videos in the, in 2019. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, no wonder anybody's coming. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I mean, it was. 
you know, it was at the same time encouraging and discouraging. I mean, it was encouraging that here are a group of 50 leaders focusing on church planting in the United States, identifying the issue. But, uh, and so that was remarkable in and of itself. But at the yeah. same time, discouraging and overwhelming to think, holy cow, how are we going to get there? Now, but then at the same time, it was, uh, again, encouraging because I think we were getting to some of the answers. Once we identified the, the issue, we began to think about how are we going to respond? If we were actually going to uh, meet this challenge of seeing 1,900 uh, sustained churches planted every year, and, I'm, and here I'm saying planted, not just started, but planted, uh, sustained every year, what is that going to look like? And the one thing that we realized, as, as you're bringing up, Matt, is that it's not going to look like what it looks like today. And what it looks like today, uh, at least what I took away, and I think this was the consensus of the, the folks in the room, was that the pastor-led, program-centric, volunteer-based church that is so predominant in the United States today is the church that is positioned to die. And, um, and that's, I mean, that's, that has to change. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that seemed to be the, the consensus in the room. And, and, you know, I was just so struck by the fact that everyone in the room was like, yeah, this is a reality. Like we have to rethink all that we've been building now on the last number of decades. And, you know, we heard from Jeff Christofferson, um, author of Kingdom First um, and a few other books. And, uh, you know, one of the things that he was even just saying um, was, I'm, he, I mean, he just like flat out, like he's got these 10 shifts that he was kind of suggesting that we need to be thinking about in all of this time. And he's like, I'm, he's like, I'm not convinced that our existing churches, uh, I think he wasn't using the language that we use on this podcast, but the legacy church, he's like, I'm not convinced that the legacy church can actually make these adjustments in our lifetime. It may require, um, you know, a, a new breed of church planter, a new breed of church movement, a new breed of, of really uh, the, the church as a whole. And, and so I, I thought that was really interesting. Michael, did you, you know, you and I dialogued a little bit about this. Um, you know, it was interesting cause I felt like, wow, that doesn't leave a whole lot of hope for the existing church. <laughs> um, you know, um, you know, in, in paradigm shifts kind of tend to do that. They kind of tend to leave the old behind. And, you know, we've also talked about new wine requiring new wine skins. Um, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on that, Michael? You and I dialogued a little bit about this um, yeah. when we were in person. Yeah. And that's a challenging one too. I, I mean, we were, we had a wonderful opportunity to have dinner with Jeff and hopefully here before too long, we'll have him on the podcast. Yeah. But um, the things that he was sharing were, I, I mean, they're, they're concerning, uh, the, absolutely, and um, and I think he has a clear uh, focus that uh, we need to be thinking very differently than what we're thinking now, in terms of how we're starting churches, and even thinking that if he's not there already, even thinking uh, what we do with the existing church. I mean, we might have to uh, give up on that, and it seemed clear in our conversation that. Um, that is a viable option and something that we need to consider if we're not already, if we haven't already given up on the legacy church. 
I'm, and that I'm concerns a, me. I mean, that because we're, you know, we're we're in uh, a legacy church. Uh, Andrew, you're in a, a kind of a legacy type of church. Uh, Matt, Ish. you're coming out of that, um, and we interact with folks that have have been in that model uh, for years. And, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, there's a part of me that says, you know what, I don't want to give up on that because I think, I think there is still value in the legacy church in as much as we are able to cast a vision for uh, what we need to be doing in terms of multiplying disciples. And um, if we're successful in doing that, then yeah, absolutely. Let's hang on to the legacy church. Let's help to uh, revitalize it in one sense. Um, and let's, let's get this thing done. Um, but at the same time, I, I mean, if we can't break that pastor-led, program-centric, volunteer-based model, we are in serious trouble in this country. I don't think it's helpful to stand and say what we really just need to do is burn it down, you know, to, to look at the data, to look at the trends and say, again, as you're stating, the pastor-led, I would almost say pastor-led, volunteer-based, program-driven, and the facility-centric mm. type, because that hasn't been mentioned, and, and I do think that's a very, very big part of all of this. We can't just stand there with pitchforks and uh, fire and say, burn it down. <laughs> it's no good. Yeah. It's, we see, we can, we can see into the future and uh, it looks like it won't happen because I think too many movements, both Christian and non in the past have looked at something in society and said, well, this isn't good. Let's just burn it down. And I do think if we're going to make a claim such as we need to see a new generation of different church planters. Okay. So then how do we move forward? So what's, what's the new type of church planter? What's the new type of church plant? What are we talking about that looks like around the corner? If we move towards this, then we might have a hope. Obviously we have hope in Christ. Um, but we might have a hope to turn the corner to see these numbers changed. And we haven't even brought up if it's an okay thing, if church numbers are dwindling, but Christ followers are increasing. We're just not seeing it yet uh, being shown through church plants or stabilizing churches. Like I, I know that's a, a different can of worms, but that has to at least be brought up because maybe there are not the same number of churches because the ways and the places that we have those metrics um, are going by the wayside and, and we're not catching maybe what God's doing right now. I don't know. I think I just opened actually three cans of worms and set them on the table and I'm going to walk away. There was a joke at the table that I was sitting at that um, when we were kind of starting to process through these things, one of the guys, um, uh, his name's I think Josh from um, uh, Texas, uh, Dallas, Fort Worth actually area. And there, and so anyway, he's like, Hey, we all brought grenades. So just throw them on the table. Mm. <laughs> and we're just, you know, we're just, we're just throwing them out there. It's like, whatever we got here, um, playing with fire. 
um, you know, I think and that's really the issue, isn't it, Matt? Because I mean, we both were thinking initially that, gosh, we know we don't need to hear all the problems. We know the problems. There is a, a sense that, yeah, now there's consensus on understanding what the problems are, but we've got to be working toward a solution. And uh, and, yeah. and that was the second day, I, I think that there were great strides uh, made in terms of addressing how how do we where do we go from here? What does it need to look like? And, and a lot of it was addressing the, the, a lot of the sense of the, re, the, the current and future realities, right? So I mean, if we're talking about, we're not keeping pace with that ratio of one congregation for every 1,000 people, right? Um, and as Andrew brings up, rightfully so, what are we looking at in terms of uh, number of Christ followers? And is it actually a good thing that the church is kind of uh, going through this season of a downward uh, spiral a little bit? And is it is it part of a pruning process or something? We can come with all sorts of theological terms and, and understanding for that. We've seen evidence of this in history, so um, especially in Israel's history. Um, so I, I think that we we talk about these kind of things and we consider this kind of, you know, this process a little bit, but you know, the future realities are going to be, or at least the ones that seem the most clearly, since we don't have the crystal ball in front of us, it does appear that as we get closer to 2050, church sizes are going to be smaller. Funding is going to be an issue. And, um, and then of course, what we were trying to address in the room as well is the leadership where's the leadership going to come from? And, um, and so, and, and even like our current seminarian, um, you know, tracks are all about professionalized ministry and not thinking about it in a new productive way of like, what is the future church planner going to look like? And as Michael yep. said, that was really the basis of kind of day number two was really starting to uncover or at least ID, you know, coming up with these ideas or ideate, if you will, um, some concepts for how do we begin to, rethink about and dream of a new of a new uh, the new church for the future yeah you bring up a couple of very important points andrew brought this up a moment ago something that we can't uh leave by the wayside is that there there really is an issue of uh, facilities that we have been yeah. building centric in how we conceptualize church and that's that's going to be a real issue because if we're talking about the need to start twenty thousand churches uh, a year that will result in 1900. I mean, there's a real facility issue here. And, and on top of that, I mean, there's even this thinking that is, that, that came out, um, that I think is at least in the, in the context of the United States is becoming increasingly, uh, a position, a political position. And that is the removal of nonprofit statuses from churches. Yeah. And if that were to happen, then how many when? more churches or w- when that happens, how many more churches will actually close because they will no longer be able to afford their tax bill. And if that were to happen, then uh, I mean, the, the whole conception of what the church is, is going to change. I think I, I don't know if the church has a full grasp of that reality that is that is very possible may come upon us is that is tax exempt status, um, tax free properties, things like that, the normalization of that. And that will literally push the church into the margins overnight. And we're, and we're certainly on that trajectory just yeah. with uh, the last uh, change in the tax laws with uh with uh, tax deductible contributions, and it, it, yep. those those have been basically eliminated unless you are giving more than twenty thousand a year. Um, and oh, so, I'm still good. 
You're still good. Yeah. <laughs> As he shakes joke. his head. head yeah. These are the enough. jokes, folks. These are the jokes. Yeah. Well, listen, let's uh, let's take a break here. And now that we've kind of painted a picture of gloom and doom and uh, this uh, a terrible dystopia, right? Let's uh, let's actually uh, on the other side of the break. Let's uh, Michael and I will share a little bit about what was really came, what came up with at this uh, think tank, and we'll talk about some of those ideas moving forward. Hey there, physiology listeners. Uh, we are so glad that you are joining us. We want to make sure that you are equipped for all that God is bringing you towards. Uh, Michael, our resident ephesiologist, is so prolific in writing that he just wants to start giving away some of his books. Uh, so to help you know more about this book, here's Michael. God's mission in the world is about just that. It's a unique mission told from Genesis to Revelation. In fact, it's the grand narrative of the Bible. It's that one unifying theme that we see in all of Scripture, that God is in pursuit of a relationship with people. God's mission in the world is about telling the most remarkable story in all of human history and telling it in such a way that others can share it. We're offering it for free because we want people to be able to tell God's story. If that interested you at all, or you would like to take a look at it, you can go to godsmissioninTheWorld.wordpress.com and download your free book, God's Mission in the World, by Michael, a resident ephesiologist. Again, that website is godsmissioninTheWorld.wordpress.com. Welcome back from the break. And uh, we've been talking about this, um, the, the Send Institute think tank that Michael and I had a chance to attend last week. And we're just talking about some of the uh, the impending um, things and in, in the state of the church in which it exists today and is going to be into the future. And uh, part of the second day of this um, conference or this, this uh, two-day think tank was that uh, we were really exploring what is that going to look like for the church of the future? Just kind of reimagining what that might be and what that might have to look like. Uh, we kind of had this uh, exercise that they had us do. It was kind of a four grid thing of um, an ideation towards multiplication. What is it going to look like for us to not only net 300 churches a year, but closer to the 1900 or 2000 or more, right? So um, uh, one, of the, one of the exercises that we went through in our individual groups and we all came together and shared these ideas is that we had to ask ourselves, um, we had to think through a number of questions that, that we're trying to solve um, moving forward. But one of the things that we had to ask is, what do we have to stop doing in order to implement new ideas rather than just trying to add on to the existing structure? What are the things that we need to kind of take away from the existing paradigm and in order to build something new? Uh, Michael, you want to share a couple of those things that really stood out to you? Yeah, I think overall what was standing out to me was that we have a real systemic issue here in the way in which we're doing church planting. And if that's going to change, like you said, to get to the 1900 number that we need to net every year, then that system has to change. And uh, some of the things, and it, I mean, it was surprising. It, it wasn't surprising. I mean, these are things that we've been talking about on the phys physiology. Mm -hmm. uh, but but uh, for us, it's been driven by an exploration of the text of Scripture and that movement in the New Testament and really understanding what was going on there. And so in one sense, as we uh, th were going through this whole process at the think tank, 
uh, I think, Matt, you'd agree that it was confirming to us that, yeah, holy cow, we need to be thinking at the biblical level, uh, the contextual level, and uh, really exploring what that New Testament movement looked like in order for us to uh, introduce a change in the system. And, um, and so anyway, to get back to what you were talking about, uh, in terms of what it is that we needed to stop doing, I think the general consensus was we have got to stop professionalizing the clergy. Um, there was an overall agreement uh, w- that we've lost the focus of the priesthood of the believers. Yeah. And that somehow we have got to get back to this idea that we are all a part of uh, this great campaign to see Christ's name made famous in the United States. And in order to do that, uh, we've got to stop professionalizing the clergy. So that, that, that idea of the things of which we need to change uh, came in a couple of different phrases that we kept hearing about. Uh, one was the professionalization of the clergy, as you just mentioned. The other one was um, recruiting what we call free agents. Mm. So the single pastor, uh, the other one, uh, the other phrase that's like it is making pastors the heroes right? The solo pastor, the solo key top leader, um, free agent, you know, pastor, especially, you know, again, most of these people in this room, uh, actually all of them were representing some sort of church planting organization. So they're thinking through a grid of church planting, right? A grid of, of what does it look like to start a a new church? And so most everyone have been working with, even though we've been talking about for the last decade, uh, co-leadership has been something that's been kind of introduced into our nomenclature. Um, it seems though that everyone still is operating with the presumption of we look for that one leader who's that top go get them entrepreneurial apostolic type of in, you know, leader. And we just rally the troops around that individual and we rally everybody around that one person to the point in which then, uh, Lord willing, uh, they've got a hundred, 150 people attending that individual's church. And then hopefully within the next, you know, year or two, they're able to bring on more of that pastor teacher kind of thing. And everyone in that room was kind of in agreement and going, we got to like, we got to stop that. <laughs> it, it, I think they were in the right direction because it was like this, this notion, we can't just keep looking for the one leader. We actually need to be looking for the plurality of leadership. And so there was that desire and it's kind of getting into the next, in the next thing. But that was one of the things that they realized, like we've over-professionalized this. We keep looking for that one key individual, that one key pastor, shepherd, teacher, apostolic, the one person to meet all things. And Michael, as you said, we've been talking about this on the podcast a lot and is, is the, is in Ephesians four. I mean, yeah. there, there's a fivefold leadership clearly, or yeah, you would claim fourfold, fourfold, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but it could be fivefold. You can, you can have five. I'll take four. Yeah, thanks. But I'll take four. <laughs> eventually we're going to get there, but you know, we've interrupted that, uh, that series on leadership so that we can insert this podcast on the air sooner because we think that it's very important and helps to give context uh, for what it is that we we're hoping the physiology does. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, it came out that this, this institutional hierarchy that we've created where the pastor's at the top and, and then there are volunteers that are helping to serve uh, in, in different areas of, of uh, programs that the church starts uh, has got to be eliminated. And, uh, and that's what we've been talking about, this idea of Ephesians 4, that the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, teacher, 
are to serve the church by equipping the saints for works of ministry. And uh, as we'll eventually get to, uh, that is a flat leadership. It doesn't mean that there's not leaders that have authority because there certainly are. And we see this in first Timothy three or in first Timothy in general, um, that leaders are to care and shepherd the flock and they're to ensure that there's correct doctrine. So there is still leadership, but it's a plurality of leadership that we're all in this together. And we need these different aspects of leaders in our churches. If in fact, we're going to grow. And, uh, and what we have come to see and what was coming out at the think tank is that the pastor-centric or the pastor-led model mm-hmm. really is, is uh, focused on creating pastors. They're not focused on necessarily creating apostles and prophets and evangelists, um, but they're focused on creating pastors or, or people that are like them. And the reality is that those who are sitting in the pew more than likely are not going to be like them. And so if that's what our hope is, that we want to see people in the pews involved in church planting, then we really have to equip them to be apostle-like, prophet-like, and evangelist-like alongside of being pastor-teacher-like. Um, and, and we're not doing that because, because our system is such that we are creating pastors who teach God's word and shepherd the flock, uh, which is not wrong. It's not bad. It's just limiting the potential of God's church. The, the other implication to that, that everybody else in this room realized also is that the system, as you were alluding to Michael is also a seminarian uh, based system that suddenly now has to reform or needs to change how they go about in the training and the equipping of pastors, right? Right. And and that's a system behind this all that suggests that we need a we need a new model forward and we need a new way of thinking about this. And we need to involve the the institutions. We need to involve the denominations. We need to involve the seminaries, um, which honestly are struggling today. Um, I don't know of really almost any um, any seminary that is that is not hurting right now and feeling the pinch of the law of low enrollment of higher education as well as um, and and just in general just becoming almost uh, realizing that there's you know there's not enough jobs to to pump out the, the number of seminarians that they're pumping out uh, year over year there's clearly not enough positions available. And we've kind of said, go church plant. And, and as we discovered, we're only netting 300 new churches a year. And I mean, I don't know the numbers of the number of people we're, we're passing out as qualified pastors, but it's far and exceeds 300. And uh, there's not enough jobs to support them uh, enough for funding. So again, we need something new. We need something different. I would have loved to hear or have loved to have seen presidents of seminaries or people also present around that table because it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it is a little funny to sit around in the think tank and go, you know whose fault it is. <laughs> it's the seminarians. Are there any seminaries here? No, 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 no. it's their fault. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I'm not I, Andrew, real quick, Andrew, real quick. Nobody was saying that in this room. I want to just, just make that clear. Nobody was sitting there pointing their finger at, you know, at Moody, at Trinity, at Wheaton. We were at Wheaton. You know what I mean? Nobody was pointing their finger at, you know, at uh, or Liberty or any of these other places and saying, 
it's their fault, but rather they've all just kind of acknowledged that, listen, the, the implications of what we're talking about today, you got to follow the path. You got to follow the, str- you got to go upstream and we got to go right. there. They are, they are part of this process that will need to be a part of a holistic uh, transformation. This, so. this has been a conversation for a while from a lot of people who have been both inside and recently graduated from the seminary. Yeah. And when we get out and we say, man, like I love my education. Um, I am a proud Phoenix seminary graduate, um, which I think actually is growing, but, um, uh, this is, this is good. And I had loved what I had, but when you get out into the quote unquote real world and you're not just behind the books, then now you're like, okay, did, was I prepared for the ministry that now I need to do? And I would, I would wholly agree. I was really well prepared to do ministry in a legacy church. Mm, I was yeah. really well prepared right. to continue to do ministry in that vein. Yeah. Um, and there's a, the funny thing is I learned a whole, whole, whole lot about how to do ministry outside of that vein while at seminary inside a legacy church. I'm kind of like, okay, so here are the things that this is, this is what works here and this is what doesn't work here. Uh, but this other thing that doesn't work here is actually what's going to help me thrive in ministry everywhere else. So... So, and then on that note, uh, the other thing that uh, the room agreed on um, was a, a renewed vision of understanding of, of what is it that we're trying to achieve in all of this? Because you just mentioned, if everything is leading up to the professionalized minister who leads in a legacy church, they all agreed that the legacy models of, uh, I'm just going to read off a few of them, launch large, attractional focused, um, mega anything was a fun phrase used event oriented event oriented. Thank you. Yes. Um, and Sunday service as being the epicenter of all that we, the apex of all that we do, they all agreed that has to change. If not be done away with, um, there were some of those extremes in the room, but, um, that, well, that, that, that's a, that's something that realizes like, Whoa, like, what are we doing here now? What are we trying to, what are we trying to build? I'm like chomping at the bit. I really want to get to the happy stuff about ways we can move forward. <laughs> Let's so do it. Can you, can Let's you, well, it. no, no, no. Can you, is there any other like massive things that we need to uh, make clear on things that we need to stop doing? No, I think um, that was, Michael, do you have anything else? I think that was yeah, kind well, of like a other, summary. Other than the facilities question, yeah, I mean, right. stopping of building campaigns and uh, the, building these things. I mean, the, the realization that um, the fund that 1900 sustained churches a year uh, if that means that we have to construct buildings is just going to be a phenomenal task. So um, it seemed like the room then when we started realizing like some of the things that we need to stop doing, the other things of which they realized that we like, here's what we should probably start doing. Um, and we should probably start doing this today <laughs> or yesterday. Right. Um, one of the things that really came out was a understanding of um, there's a lot of conversation about coaching and again, you know, you have to understand the room in the context. There was a lot of like church planting trainers and coaches in the room. So they're thinking through that particular grid. But really, it seemed like at the, underneath it all, it was the disciple who makes disciples who makes disciples uh, conversation. Uh, that seemed to be a key thread in all of this is, Michael, you already said it. Every person a minister, every person uh, finding their gifting and being equipped in their gifting and their calling and to equip others for their gifting and their calling. 
Do you want to speak yeah. more to that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was so clear in that room is the realization that we, we need to make disciples who make disciples. And, uh, and the reality is that we haven't done that because we've been focused uh, on a different model, that attractional model, where we're trying to invite people into a large gathering on Sunday mornings in hopes that through that process, disciples will be made. And the reality is that that's not happening. And so what, what the consensus was in the room was that we need to start and build pathways of this discipleship into the context of the churches today, but into the DNA of uh, the, our new church plants. The, the other uh, thing that was really uh, discussed about, uh, talked about too, was just, you know, again, we've already mentioned it, but celebrating the priesthood of all believers um, and that really equipping every person in a called role in, within the context of the church. And of course, this now leads down to the next question is, well, how big do these churches are? There's a lot of conversation about these are small gatherings. Uh, house churches were definitely talked about as being, this may be the future. We've been using, we've been using things like small groups, missional communities as, as like placeholders, I think, for what most people are really getting into saying, I think we just need, we may just need networks of, of small of house churches. Right. And that's the key here is, is this network and the uh, reproducibility of this. Uh, so when we're talking about uh, discipleship and making disciples, we're talking about these are disciples who will reproduce. They'll make more disciples. And then in the context of small groups or house churches, these are small groups and house churches that will replicate. And, and will continue to multiply uh, over and over again. Uh, another thing, too, was talking about uh, if we're addressing the deprofessionalization of the minister of the pastor, was the reality that um, we've heard about bivocational. Uh, bivocational suggests that a pastor has a side hustle um, or a side job a freelancer, if you will, um, or maybe even has a full-time gig and works part-time for the church, usually with the hopes of that that pastor would eventually be able to grow a, a church to the size in which he or she could eventually rise up to become a full-time staff member, paid staff member. It's usually kind of the mentality behind the bivocational. Some people remain bivocational uh, forever, um, but there's a new term that's been uh, uh, coined. It's called co-vocational. Uh, it's uh, really just essentially the idea that you've, you, you don't have a side hustle. <laughs> you are, uh, you're an employee at, uh, uh, you know, wherever it is that you find your, your vocational work at, um, you know, whether you're in the healthcare industry, whether you're, you're in IT, information technology sector, where business, finance, you have a regular full-time job that is supporting you and your family, and you are a minister of the gospel and uh as well and that you may be a leader of a church but um you know it doesn't come with all the 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 requirements of what we know to be a full-time pastor is and i think this is probably the most upsetting disorienting understanding of the role of the pastor teacher and um again it's i think it's shedding away that overemphasis of pastor teacher and now spreading out a plurality of leadership within the context of a smaller congregation um, I think this is the most upsetting thing because it, it literally, if this catches wind and if this is really the way we need to go, uh, it will put seminaries out of business. Um, and, and I don't know if we're, we're not, we're not calling for that. Um, but rather we need to rethink what this looks like, or we need to figure out how to train for this. Um, because this literally says 
whatever you know of your pastor teacher, that person is not going to do anything close to what you used to think that person does. Mm. I think it's really impactful when thinking about this because uh, in a way, just like we were talking about earlier, we were talking about the numbers and I said, okay, well, have we asked this question or have we thought about this? I think for a lot of the church planting organizations, for uh, the missionary organizations, for everybody, um, everybody is moving forward with the assumption, okay, well, Sunday morning is a given and music and preacher are a given. So now how do we make more disciples? And so everybody is trying to answer the second question. How yep. do we grow the church? How do, how we, do we grow the church? Disciples? Right there. Um, yeah. But we've all done so with the, so Sunday morning is a given and the pastor has to be in the pulpit. But when we actually, now what you're talking about is moving back ahead of that question and now saying, how do we bring God glory? How do we, um, you know, ephesiology terminology from Ephesians one, um, how do we, how do we join God and uniting all things in him? Um, if we're asking that question now, it isn't so unrealistic to look at an engineer who is also going to fill, fulfill um, maybe that prophet type role in his house church. Because now we're not saying you need to be an engineer, but you also need to prep for a sermon for half of your week. Um, now we're saying, what does it look like to be an engineer and help speak truth when your group gathers? Mm. Uh, what does it look like to... Uh, to be that pastor, shepherd, teacher role, uh, who is going to bring to, to, to exposit God's word, but also come alongside people to bring comfort, to point to Jesus. Uh, what does it look like to say, how do we reach out in a new way into this community? I'm a librarian in this community. I've got some great ideas. Um, so let us as a house church. I mean, it seems like we have an ability then with that co-vocational model to be able to start seeing the church actually grow in the ways that we hoped wanted and kind of need it to. Um, but it all requires us dropping the expectation. It has to be on a Sunday morning with a large event. Michael, it seemed like in the room uh, that there was a lot of conversation. You know what? I think I only heard one person actually say this, but I think that they were starting to reconcile and maybe many in the room haven't really gotten there yet, but it seemed like we were really asking ourselves, what exactly is an Acts 2 church? Or maybe we need to return to the Acts 2 church. Um, well, I mean, that clearly came out in what uh, Jeff was talking about, that we're finding mm -hmm. ourselves in a first century uh, situation in yeah. the United States and not in a 16th century uh, context. Um, and so we need to begin to think more missiologically about engaging our are uh, the people in the United States than, uh, than even the revitaliz revitalization of the church. And I think what Jeff was getting at was, you know, in the 16th century, that reform that happened really was more of a revitalization of the church. It, it wasn't necessarily missionary, although there was this idea that Luther had that, you know, through uh, th this reformation that people would come to Christ and churches would be um, corrected theologically. 
it wasn't really a missionary type of movement. And what Jeff was trying to indicate, and I think he did get this across, was that in the United States today, we're in a first century context where we've got to think more missiologically about engaging people with the gospel. And that has to happen. Uh, and that's one of the things that we have to absolutely start doing today. I, I was looking a few minutes ago and being reminded of uh, what Ed Setzer had uh, written about a couple months uh, prior to this, that uh, 79% of the unchurched people in the United States say that they would engage in a faith conversation, but only 39% of Christians have actually shared their faith. And that is a huge gap um, in, in the way in which we're conducting mm -hmm. ministry uh, mm -hmm. and engaging our culture with the gospel. Mm -hmm. So if there's interest in that, then we have got to begin to equip our people missiologically uh, with this passion for a theocentric uh, pursuit of God's glory uh, by uniting all things in Christ, that these things that we've been talking about on the physiology. Hmm. So then that might be the thing, one of the things when you're talking about this new breed of church planter is somebody that may have that very rooted, driven, missiological theocentrism is kind of at the forefront of their mind um, that they go about both life and ministry one and the same not separate not in a dichotomy to his glory driven so that all may know him is that kind of big broad brush stroke yeah I, I, it is in a sense but here's the danger in that uh, andrew uh, and i think we need to begin to recognize this is that th that type of model that we're looking for that driven person is what uh, this think tank was saying that we need to stop looking for that driven person. Instead, we need to equip the whole body of Christ to be uh, driven together through to this pursuit of God's glory. And hence the idea of the priesthood of the believer. So we're no longer looking for the entrepreneurial, rugged individualist who can go out and church plant uh, and be driven in that way. But we want to see the church the people, believers, discipled, uh, into this idea, uh, how we would put it, this idea of a missiologically theocentric passion for God's glory by more people following him. But might it look like somebody actually stepping forward as a pastor to do that? I mean, so I'm in 100% agreement. Yes, we need the church to be there. Yes, we need this common ground level of leadership where that priesthood of believers is stepping up. Actually, I was almost going to make the joke earlier. Like, you know, what was the, the problem is we have this professionalized vision. And I was like, well, Piper already wrote the book. Brothers, we are not professionals. Wasn't that enough? Um, <laughs> but I understand that that mindset needs to change. But I also still see a way forward, not with the single rock star pastor, coming in with the new hot idea, but a pastor who is sold out to this idea, bringing a others along with him and then saying, this is the type of church that we are going to plant and lead together. That, that's more along the lines of what I am saying, because there's going to have to be something or many some ones rather that are going to have to start to help turn this tide. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what I'm reacting to, uh, Andrew, I don't disagree with you at all. I think you're spot on. What I'm reacting to is even the title pastor. And we're going to get to this when we talk about leadership 
in the context of that movement in the New Testament. But um, I, I almost think, and this didn't come out, and I don't think anybody was suggesting it. I don't, may, Matt, you might recall, but um, the, the title itself of pastor, I think, is to some level problematic in this idea of moving forward because it, it was very clearly uh, articulated that the pastor-led model is a part of the hindrance. And so, um, and right. it, it makes me ask the question, well, do we need to do away with even the terminology and get back to the Ephesians 4 terminology of apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher? Um, pastor, you know, is a, is a uh, Americanization of a Latin word, uh, pastor. Uh, that meant shepherd, and, um, and but we've professionalized that position, and uh, and so I think that might be a bit of the tension that we're sensing in our ability to move forward. That a church requires a pastor, right. which necess- necessitates seminary education and preparation. Um, but what we're recognizing is that model is not going to reach the 1900 uh, new church plants that we need uh, to start every year. A simple way to put that is essentially the term has been co-opted. And so we're going to have to find something that's going to be able to reach the ends that we want without having to spend so much extra time trying to de-educate uh, with the term, just go with the different term. Yeah. Is that right. what you're saying? Yeah, a- absolutely. I, I mean, in this vein, I like what Alan Hirsch is doing with the APEST uh, stuff. And this is some, to some level, we're trying to do this as well with the physiology as we're talking about this style of leadership that will put, that will propel a movement forward and help it to continue to grow. That we've got to have that flat leadership that's non-hierarchical, that really empowers people uh, to use their gifts to extend the gospel for God's glory. So one other thing that really came out of this uh, conversation of something that we would need to start doing is we talk about collaboration and the kingdom and being kingdom minded. Um, but I think the reality really started sinking into this group of people across all spectrums, um, uh, you know, across product, you know, the Protestant denomination, if you will, and evangelicalism as a whole, but like, there seemed to be this sense of going, we really need a new collaboration. Like we really need to know what, what does collaboration really going to look like? And, um, and starting to, I think a willingness, uh, I don't think we got to that point. Uh, that would require many, many, many more think tanks and conversations. And, um, uh, but I, I think that there seemed to be a willingness to say, we really do need to think about what does collaboration really look like uh, for the kingdom. That was exciting uh, to hear because what it meant was that we need to tear down some theological walls that we've constructed Yes, and just get over it. You know, we're different and that's okay. Uh, but let's not let that those differences divide us because we're all on the same task here. And, and, uh, and that was so refreshing to hear because again, you have, Presbyterians, Evangelical Free, Southern Baptist, Church of God, you know, you name it, all of these different denominations that represent different theological positions. Um, and, and we're all saying that, you know what, in order for us to get over this hurdle, we've got to be able to lay aside some of those differences and really focus on uh, this pursuit of God's glory by more people following him.
So here's what I kind of want to land the plane for us in this conversation. And that is um, what, this is kind of tooting our own horn a little bit, but I felt like I walked away feeling, man, there is really a place for ephesiology in this room. Because when I first walked in, I thought, man, what are we doing here? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like you got all these like network denominations trying to, you know, plot and plan and like think about the future of the church. And the more the, the, the two days unfolded, the more I realized man, there is a place, I think, for this conversation. And that was the key right here is that collaborative uh, aspect and that theologic um, hermeneutic, if you will, of understanding like how, what is that like, how are we deciding to to try to, um, what's the unifying principles, I think? I, I don't know how to totally put it yet, but what are the unifying principles that are going to bring all these denominations together to be a part of God's mission in the world? And I felt, and there's a place here for us at the table that I think that we're starting to kind of lean into. Uh, and, and I think, and I think there's something to, to say for that. So I don't, Michael, you want to just riff on that for a minute or? Yeah. yeah it looked well, like your neck was going to snap off. You were nodding so, <laughs> so hard. Are you okay? Oh, I just thought he was hang, head banging. I thought he had some cool jams going through his, his headphones. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> no, I, you're spot on, Matt. And I love the fact that you stood up and called us to a theological hermeneutic. Oh, I put my neck out there and I thought for sure that the bullets are going to start flying. So yeah, no, I, I, and you're spot on. I, I think in, we've had some conversation about this since then that, that that really I think that what you were trying to say I don't want to put words in your mouth but that uh, we want to focus on a missiological uh, 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 theological hermeneutic something that is going to push us forward along the lines of what we've been talking about to have this passion and we've got to have the, if we don't have the passion for God's glory in this then we, we are not going to change anything uh, and that has to be found foundational to uh, what it is that we do moving forward. And I loved this this think tank. I loved the consensus that we were hearing, uh, identifying the issues, beginning to identify steps forward. But I think that there is a foundational piece that I, at least I felt like um, wasn't completely articulated in the way that it can be. And, and again, this is, and again, we're not trying to toot our own horn, but we do think that this uh, biblical, theological, missiological foundation that we see emerging out of the movement in the church in Ephesus is critical in us moving forward. Because if we can't, if we can't discover within God's word, what it is that uh, characterized, what it is that motivated, uh, what it is that led and sustained and multiplied that movement, then then uh, we'll just simply fabricate a more uh, or continued anthropocentric idea of where we need to move forward. And so we need to ground this movement. Uh, we need to ground this thinking on good, solid, missiologically, theological hermeneutics that will propel us in this pursuit of God's glory. Yeah. Amen. And, you know, I think one of the things that as we were kind of doing some of our breakouts a little bit, we were talking about, we did some whiteboard exercises and I was kind of looking at a physiology in my little cohort group that I was a part of. And we were trying to analyze like, what is like the burning issue for us? Like, what is the issue that we're stuck on in our organization? And of course, all these people are thinking about like, well, we're church planting networks and we're trying to, 
plant more churches, you know, and we're stuck in our coaching, we're stuck in our training, we're stuck in, you know, uh, recruitment and, you know, they're trying to, th- and funding and all that other kind of stuff. And I'm sitting here asking the question, what is it that we're trying to get at? Cause we're kind of, we're coming underneath all that. Like we're, we're the forethought, right? Um, as oh, to yeah, we're, we're just starting. Yeah. We're, we're, <laughs> we're asking the question, why, why are we even doing this and where do we go? Right. And what's that vision forward? And so really what I kind of, what I wrote on my board was, um, our burning issue or where we're stuck at is how are we training people and teaching people and educating and also inspiring and empowering others to embody God's mission in the world. And when I put that on the board of my little core, it's like, Whoa, isn't that what we're all trying to do? And I go, yeah, isn't this what we're all trying to do is how are we embodying God's missions? Or in other words, how are we uh, in helping empower people or disciples? I should say, how are we empowering disciples to live out their identity? Um, as those who um, walk with and, and live on mission, right? And so I think if we start kind of speaking more into that as part of what we're, and this is what we're trying to do with the physiology, is helping people understand their role in God's mission and that there's no exception for anyone. Um, I think we could see a, 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 um, an incredible movement begin to start with, with the future of the church. And then we can start to break down a lot of these walls and, and there will be some large churches that will continue to exist well into 2050. And there may be huge networks of, of house churches um, and we're going to face some realities. But if we're all beginning to think about how we live on mission together and that we're embodying God's mission for his world, I, I think that in itself is, is revolutionary. Absolutely. I think we do need to continue to ask that question as we're moving forward is a, how can we be the people that God wants us to be so glory driven, so, so centered on him uh, that his goodness, I say drives us, you know, it, it, it fills our whole sphere of what we are looking at and also ask the question, if we are coming up against obstacles, if we keep looking at how our churches are operating and say, you know, move the needle forward 10 years, 20 years, can this even exist? Uh, if we think finances are going to be problematic, if we think the seminary training is going to continue to be stuck in an old model, if, you know, we keep seeing problems, continue to ask that question. Okay. So then how can we chase God's glory by starting something that doesn't deal with all those exact same obstacles. What can we start to make disciples who make disciples that isn't contingent on finances, that isn't contingent on uh, Sunday building uh, meetings? Um, How and where do we turn when we are able to satisfy the ends that we're shooting for? Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. yeah. Michael, any any uh, final thoughts from you? Oh man, you know what? We, we wrap this up and, and and go into a second hour of conversation of, about these things. But um, no, I you know I, I just come back to it, just this uh, sense of uh, unity that was in that room, yeah. and the sense sense of wanting to be connected and to collaborate. Uh, not just a sense of real desire to do that. And I mean, it's just striking to be in a room full of leaders like that who come, like I've mentioned before, who come from many different backgrounds that are just saying, you know what, we're in this together. Let's get this done. And uh, let's shed whatever walls we need to in order to see that this happens. Yeah, yeah, right on. 
Yeah, so that was a really encouraging time. I think for you and I, Michael, it's good to hang out with you for two days. And uh, Andrew, we missed you. Um, but we're grateful though that it was an just a neat opportunity. I think just affirming that I feel like God's really been stirring our heart and um, not saying we've got all the answers at all. Um, you know, we're 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 in it with with you. And uh, for those who are listening with us, church leaders, church members pastors, uh, maybe even those who are teaching in the seminaries. I mean, we're in this with you. We're, we're, we're trying to discover this together. And, um, and again, we're rooting it back into that New Testament movement. We're desiring to understand that New Testament movement and its implications for us today. And I, I, I don't know about you guys, but I just feel like there's no greater time than for now for us to be really considering these, these, these things and the implications of what this looks like. And can't help but that God's hand is somewhere in, in, in working in through all this. And Man, we are growing. I'm growing. Uh, Michael and I had some chances to debrief a little bit about my own church plant, and I'm, you know, and, and just wrestling through some of those ideas. And so I'm just grateful for us just to be that we're on the journey together with you guys. So for those who are listening uh, with Ephesiology, thanks for being a part of this journey with us. Join us online at ephesiology.com. Be sure to continue to subscribe to the podcast and share it with others too. We'd love to get this message out to as many people as possible. And of course, join us on our Facebook page by just searching Ephesiology. For Michael, Andrew, and myself, we'll catch you next week on the Physiology Podcast.